This is Eric Krakauer, and you're listening to the Seleção Podcast. Bem jogado por Simão, a passar por dois adversários, Simão, a tentar oferecer o gol a Figo, e a bola é gol! O golo da Figo! Rui Costa vai, Rui Costa vai, acreditou, vai tirar para o golo, atira o golo! 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 All you cool cats and kittens, and we welcome you to episode number 29 of the Slesson Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net. My name is Danny Pinto. I am your host. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this uh, latest uh, podcast as, yeah, it's been a couple of months since uh, since I've uh, put one out, uh, since uh, I would believe the beginning of February after we had talked about the uh, the winter transfer window. Um, but, uh, yeah, some things have happened in our world that have kind of put a halt to, uh, you know, any kind of, uh, Slesson, uh, news, uh, for the most part. But, uh, but I thought it was important to get back to, uh, to recording and get back to talking about, um, you know, soccer in general and, uh, and getting the, uh, the points of view of, uh, of, uh, of someone who is living in Portugal during this time, as well as someone who covers the game, uh, globally, um, for a sports network. So, yeah, we are we are living in interesting times, guys. Uh, obviously, I hope everyone is staying safe, uh, staying as home as much as you possibly can. Uh, to all of our uh, essential uh, workers out there, uh, you know, our 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 grocers, our doctors, uh, our delivery um, our delivery people, um, and I don't mean to forget anyone else. So please, if you were one of these people, please don't take offense. But uh, our law enforcement, my goodness, our fire, uh, our uh, our, our, our firemen and firewomen and, and just everyone uh, who's out there still doing uh, what uh, they have been asked to do be, uh, before and after this pandemic starts. Um, just, you know, a big thank you from all from all of us who are listening, especially if you are one of these folks who are are, uh, are one of our essential workers and you're listening to the podcast by by all means. Uh, my sincere thanks uh, for for what you guys are doing, the sacrifice you're making in these uh, just uncertain times. Uh, to keep uh, to keep our world going as as best as it possibly can. So, um, yeah, I I just uh, I just felt uh, I just felt uh, something come over me the last uh, I would say last week or so to kind of get back on the microphone and and put out an episode. Um, I had uh, I had someone reach out because uh, I I you know, I'll be honest with you guys and and I don't mind being honest. Um, when this when this whole pandemic first started. Uh, I was, I was pretty freaked out. Um, my, my wife has, you know, respiratory issues. Um, you know, I have two small children. Uh, my parents are, are above the, uh, you know, the age, um, uh, are above the age of 65 as are my in-laws. Um, and, and uh, me myself, uh, I have a lot of anxiety and I worry a lot. So when you when you put all that combined into something that has that I have no control over, other than how I respond at home and how we respond as a family, um, it, it you know your brain starts going in 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 certain dark places that um, 
you, you just you just don't want to go and it's hard to get out of sometimes. So I was I was pretty down, I would say the first couple of weeks of of this thing. Uh and and not to say that I am um you know full of joy and uh, and uh you know of whimsy. Um but uh, right now but I just I I think I have a better handle on what this new normal kind of is for all of us right now. And and I think you see that with a lot of people. Um you either you either adapt or you get left behind and no one wants to be left behind. So, you know, I I've never I've never washed my hands more and I never thought I was uh, a a a unhygienic person to begin with, but uh you know, you wash your hands a lot more. Uh you uh you know, a lot of a lot of uh polishing and and uh, and uh and sanitizing of of uh, of doors and handles and all that stuff and it's just a new normal, and uh, the one thing I miss most, uh, other than just uh, hugging my folks and uh, and and uh, hanging out with my friends and and my uh, and all my family and friends, I miss sports so much. God, I miss sports, and it's one of those things that it has been taken from us, but only temporarily. And that's the thing that I have to keep uh, reminding myself in terms of when I start feeling a little down, uh, when uh, when I start feeling. Uh, a little worrisome. It's uh, this is temporary. Uh, if if uh, if I do what I have been asked to do by my my local governments and my local officials, uh, it's not a guarantee, obviously. But it gives me and my family and those who uh, I love and and uh, and hold dear to my heart uh, the best opportunity to get through this thing uh, as unscathed as possible. So um, you just hope and you pray that uh, this pandemic. Um, will 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 pass us by uh with as little uh, with as little damage uh as as it possibly can and and to be frank um we we've had we've had a, a much more people pass uh from this from this uh tragic uh virus than than needed to be but um you know our, our thoughts are with them and their families and and we just hope that we can just get out of this thing uh, as quickly and as safely as possible, but the reason why uh, this uh, this podcast is uh, up today uh, and out to you guys today is that I wanted to contact and get in touch with uh, with some folks in Portugal and some folks uh, who handle uh, you know the or who work in the soccer world uh, globally. Uh, and I couldn't have picked two uh, two better guests uh, today uh, for episode number twenty nine. Tom Cundert of Portugal.net. He's going to give us a report from Portugal as uh, what's going on uh, in the country and uh, what's going on uh, with the league. As uh, as we currently sit, the league uh, was suspended on March the twelfth, as were many other leagues. Um, but uh, but he uh, kind of gives us a, an idea of where Portugal is currently in terms of uh, of uh, of handling this uh, this uh, this virus, and uh, you know kind of where you know you know what are ideas that the league is kind of looking at in terms of completing the league. And then globally, uh, we we uh, are going to talk with uh, Eric Krakauer of BN Sports. Uh, he was kind enough to give us some time. Uh, obviously, uh, with BN, uh, they have the Spanish league, uh, the French league, uh, the Turkish league, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of South American uh, soccer as well. Uh, so he's seen it uh, on a multiple scale in terms of how the leagues have been impacted by COVID nineteen, and uh, he'll he'll uh, share some thoughts on uh, on that as well. So again, I can't thank you guys enough for uh, for sticking with the podcast and staying with the podcast on on social media. Um, we are, we're actually still gaining followers, which is a good thing. Uh, I've been, I've been tweeting out, uh, tweeting out, not as much as, uh, as I used to, um, obviously with everything, go, everything going on, but, um, the, the show continues to grow, which we're, which we're greatly appreciative, appreciative of, 
Um, and again, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram uh, at SlessOnPod. Uh, Facebook.com slash SlessOnPod is our Facebook page. You can like that page and share that page with all of your friends on Facebook. SlessOnPod at gmail.com is the email. And of course, you can go to SlessOnPod.com, which is our website. But uh, without further ado, I just want to uh, go ahead and get things started here with uh, our interview with Tom Cundert. Uh, of Portugal.net as he gives us uh, a report from Portugal uh, during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic as you're listening to episode number 29 of the Celeste Podcast. So our first guest here on uh, episode number 29 of the Celeste Podcast, and we thank everybody for uh, for tuning in. It has been a while since uh, since we put one out, but uh, under the circumstances, I thought it'd be, uh, it'd be nice to get an episode out to get a, a feeling of uh, where we are in the uh, in the football soccer world uh, from both uh, the uh, the Portuguese side and globally. We'll have Eric Krakauer later on this hour or later on this episode, but uh, we go to Portugal first, and uh, we are going to speak here with our good friend Tom Cundert of Portugal.net. You can follow Tom, of course, at Portugal one P O R T U G O A L the number one. Uh, he's going to give us a little bit of a, uh, a rundown of. What the last uh, four or five weeks in Portugal uh, has been. So, uh, so Tom, glad uh, glad to hear your voice, sir. Glad you're safe and uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, okay, Danny. Likewise, yeah, good to hear you. Uh, keeping well, you know, and uh, all the listeners out there. Just uh, everyone says the same thing, isn't it? But we just hope they all stay safe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we before we get to um, to to the football, um, what has what has it been like, uh, and what have you been seeing reading? Uh, regarding uh, this pandemic uh, in Portugal, uh, and and what has what has your opinion been uh, of how the uh, the Portuguese government has has responded to this pandemic? Yeah, well, I think they've done a good job, to be honest. Uh, I think so far, you know, they've been putting out lots of information, uh, clear instructions. Uh, they've been making quick decisions, implementing those decisions, and most people. Here in Portugal, have uh, you know respected those decisions, and uh, as a result, at least we hope uh, you know it's as a result, the pandemic hasn't hit Portugal as hard as it has some other countries. Of course, we just need to look over the border at Spain and the, you know the terrible things which are happening over there. And uh, luckily, uh, so far, Portugal seems to be uh, you know handling it quite well. Uh, you know that said, it's uh, you know I think. Every day we get the the numbers, don't we? And it's it's about thirty or forty deaths a day in Portugal, which is you know it's obviously a tragedy. Every death is a tragedy for for that person and the family. But uh, you know could be worse. And I think at the moment people are uh, taking it very seriously. The the, the restrictions there, uh, like I say, they're respecting them. It's just so surreal, like it is all over the world. I'm sure it's the same for you, Danny. You know, streets almost empty. Um, you know, it just seems like we're living in a different world, doesn't it? Almost like something you you, you think you'd only seen a TV show. But, uh, you know, at the moment, fingers crossed, uh, Portugal hasn't had it so bad as some other countries. Yeah, and, and being, you know, just on the other side of Spain, obviously Spain in, in terms of the, the European countries, one of the most hard hit in terms of uh, in terms of deaths, well over uh, 20,000 now as the as of the recording of this podcast. Portugal, as you mentioned, have taken some. The response has been good uh, in terms of deaths, although one one death uh, to this thing is is one too many. But uh, is there any concern uh, from what you've seen, what you've read, that um, it 
not that it could reach Spain's level, but that it, the, the worst could still yet uh, be coming? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, people are worried. There's no doubt about it, especially because, you know, Portugal, it's, uh, you know, it's a European country, good standard of life. But we all know it's not the, the richest country and uh, it probably hasn't got the best health service in Europe. So, you know, if it really did start to get out of control here in Portugal, you know, it would be, you know, it could be in, in very big trouble. So I think that's really one reason why people are really taking every restriction. I mean, it's very interesting. You just see, like I was saying a while ago, you see pictures on TV and even just going out, which uh, you just, you know, you thought you'd never see before. Algarve in the Easter is normally packed, you know, especially with Portuguese tourists, actually, because although the, the foreign tourists tend to come over in the summer in Easter, a lot of Portuguese people go down there. So you see the we had nice weather this Easter. So you just saw all those beaches and all those restaurants and all those kind of promenades uh, virtually empty, which is just a surreal thing to see, you know, that normally had been packed. Same with, you know, restaurants around Easter time, uh, you know, and most of the restaurants nationwide, they're, they're closed or, you know, a few of them are, are open for, you know, doing a takeaway service. So, you know, it's really like we're, we're living in a different world. But yeah, at the moment, like I say, I think the response has been good by the authorities and also by the general population. And so, uh, you know, just fingers crossed that things stay under control. We're talking with uh, Tom Cundert of Portugal.net. He's uh, joining us on episode number 29 of the Slesson podcast. I am your host, Danny Pinto. Uh, Tom, let's, let's go to, uh, to the football here as, uh, as, our, as our good friends uh, that are not my friends, but I just like saying to the football because the guys I'm in in Blazers say it, and I like it. So anyway, <laughs> uh, but let's, let's, let's go back to the beginning of March, um, and, and we'll go with, with uh, off the field first. Um, the last Liga Nage games were played on the weekend of March the 7th and 8th. And the Slesson was also about three weeks away from uh, heading to Qatar uh, to play in that friendly tournament against uh, Belgium, Croatia, and, and Switzerland. And then everything stopped. Uh, I believe March 12th, uh, the league was suspended. Um, what were the days like in Portugal prior to the postponement as it was kind of leading up to it? And what was the reaction when the postponement of the season actually became a reality? Yeah, well, I think it was pretty much like elsewhere, really. You know, it was was a bit of a shock when the, you know, when the, of course, you everyone knows probably all all the listeners know, and you certainly know, Danny, that uh, football and soccer has such a important play, such an important role, has such a big such a big facet of Portuguese society and the country as a whole. And, uh, and you know, when football stopped, uh, you know, that was like a sign, almost like, wow, this is serious, you know, something very serious is happening. But, uh, you know, people got quickly on board. I think everyone, you know, was very understanding. They realised it was the right decision. And uh, it's been interesting because there's been uh, almost, you could say, like a ceasefire between the normal state of affairs, which is this kind of ongoing war of words between uh, especially Portugal's top clubs, especially, of course, Benfica and, and uh, Porto. You know, it's almost seems like a long time ago, doesn't it now, Danny? But it was almost a daily occurrence. Oh, that yeah, the, absolutely. You know, the communications, uh, you know, the communications uh, spokesman for, for, for Porto would just, uh, you know, be firing off shots to Benfica. That would be quickly responded and that would kind of go backwards and forwards. A bit 
too much, really. It sometimes even overshadowed the actual football itself. But all of that stopped, uh, obviously, and uh, football itself stopped. Uh, you know, obviously, I think like most football fans all over the world, uh, it's we're we're missing it. We're missing it a lot. You know, we wish it could be played, but we realise this is the correct decision, and uh, just waiting for this to you know hopefully pass as soon as possible or things get to some kind of normality. Uh, I'm sure we'll go on to talk about that. I think it's going to be quite a while before things get back to anything like normal, but perhaps there'll be one or two solutions to try and get things uh, progressing, at least uh, in terms of you know finishing this season. Is, has there been anything coming from uh, the Primeira Liga president, uh, Pedro Proença, or... Uh, Federation President Fernando Gomes in terms of timelines, expectations, options on on finishing these leagues or you know, in, in dealing with the with the Slesson. I mean, they have Nations League matches scheduled for this coming fall. Has there has there been any kind of talk in terms of what could be a a logical next step or a safe next step um, in, in getting football back uh, back going in in Portugal? Yeah. So uh, there's there's been actually Pedro. Proenza came up with quite a detailed plan, really. Uh, this is already, you know, it's, it's quite difficult reporting on these these stories because things, of course, change so often, almost from day to day, it seems. But Pedro Proenza and the Liga, they came up with quite a detailed plan of how they would like the season to finish. And so they even went as far as saying, uh, putting out a kind of schedule, saying the clubs will be back in training in May, uh, there'd be fixtures every weekend starting from the end of May to mid-July. Uh, it would also include two midweek, uh, you know, round of games, two midweek jornadas to uh, to make sure the season finishes. Uh, the cup final would be on the 18th or 19th uh, of July. And uh, so every, everything would be done and dusted by the end of July. That was the plan. But uh, obviously the games would be played behind closed doors. However, I think uh, to be, you know, I thought I thought when I heard that, I just thought this is like wildly optimistic, to say the least. Uh, pie in the sky, you could even sure. say. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, to be fair also to the authorities and to Pedro Perenzo and the Liga, they did say, you know, this is a provisional plan. And obviously this depends on what the, what the health authorities say, what the government say, what the, you know, the general state of this pandemic is. And so it's, it's subject to change. I haven't really heard anything more since uh, since then as far as you know specific dates or specific plans go but uh like i say i think it's that's quite optimistic to put it mildly but uh, i suppose one thing it does show which is uh, the same as in many other countries again i think people are quite keen that this season is finished one way or another yeah and it's i mean there's you know anytime you kind of start putting dates to some of these projections it's i mean i I think you kind of do it in terms of a, uh, you know, you know, there are contracts, there are, uh, there are, are, uh, are wages, there are uh, everything that needs to kind of be dealt with uh, prior to, um, you know, the the next season. But at the same time, I think it also, you know, fairly or unfairly, it kind of gives uh, the public a bit of a bit of hope that something could happen because you know, and you mentioned it a little a little earlier. Uh, sports is the one thing is one of the main things in this world. And, and you and I obviously a, a, as huge fans of, of not only soccer and football, but of, of a lot of sports around the world, 
it's an escape. You know, it, it's it's a it's a it, it's just to get away from the 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 monotonous life sometimes that we can carry for just a couple of hours and and obviously this is being impacted by this because just like you and I these athletes are human beings these guys have families they have um, you know me- some have medical issues that uh, this uh, this pandemic uh, can definitely um, you know uh, cause havoc too so um, it's it's a it's a tricky combination of trying to be realistic and also giving someone. Uh, like sports fans hope. And I mean, I don't envy uh, Pedro Proenza or, or, or anybody or any of these presidents and these, uh, these general managers and, and anywhere around the world of trying to get back to normalcy when in fact we just don't know what that normal is yet. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point, Danny, the, you know, the hope, you know, people, I think, uh, I think really, to be honest, when they put out this schedule, I'm pretty sure that they, you know, even Pedro Parenzo himself and the people knew that it, it really wasn't very realistic. Uh, you know, or, or I suppose they were, you know, it's the best case scenario, we can say, uh, that, you know, if things really calmed down and they thought this, you know, this pandemic perhaps wasn't as serious as, uh, you know, it has turned out to be, uh, that that would be a reasonable schedule. But you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, imagine if they just said, OK, no football until 2022, for example, uh, or, you know, or even 2021, uh, it would people. I think that would be quite devastating for people. And then you know, there'd be, that would bring up a whole lot of, of, you know, kind of other questions and issues, you know, and how we're going to, like you just mentioned, the contracts and the finances and, you know, how we're going to even help some, some entities, a lot of entities in football survive, you know, even before we start talking about the individuals and, you know, what it does to their livelihoods. So, so yeah, hope is a very, uh, you know, I think it's a very important part of a lot of messages put out both by, uh, in, you know, in this case, the, the football authorities in Portugal, and I think even just generally, you know, by politicians there. I think it's very important to, like I say, strike a balance. This is a terrible thing we're going through, but, uh, you know, there will be an end. And so I suppose it's just trying to find the best way to uh, to get that end and to prepare yourself as best as possible. So, you know, when things do calm down, uh, we can try and decide quickly how to, how to get things back to some kind of normalcy. You're listening to episode number 29 of the Celeste Song Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Pinto. We are joined uh, by Tom Cundert of Portugal.net. Um, Portugal.net is actually where my next question is, is uh, geared towards. Um, one of the things that one of the positive things in terms of just a sports fan um, that has come out of this pandemic um, is just seeing the different ways teams and outlets like Portugal.net have kind of shifted the way that they are either reporting or just going in different directions or creating something that is just outside of the box uh, because obviously there, there are no live sports uh, to report on, especially in soccer and especially in Portugal. Uh, what's, what's, what was your thinking like as, you know, uh, you know, going back to when, when this all started and we were asked to shelter in place, what was kind of the thinking of, all right, how, how do I keep Portugal.net going, uh, and being creative in, in getting some different, uh, some different topics and, and different, uh, you know, a different audience maybe even, um, to the site. I, I've loved what Sean Gillen's been doing on, on his Twitter in terms of the on this day stuff. Um, some some tremendous goals that sometimes we have forgotten, whether they be for the Celeste song for the uh, for the league or from uh, players applying their trade in and uh, uh, elsewhere in Europe. But 
what's been like your uh, what's been your thinking process in terms of what to do um, at Portugal.net during this pandemic? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when it when it first hit, I thought, oh my god, you know, the site. I suppose it's just going to have to shut down, just like football shut down. So the site will have to shut down for however long. But uh, but you know, thank God for the internet, and, and thank God for uh, archive footage, and uh, you know, thank God for like you said, some very creative and you know talented writers like Sean uh, Gillen and so many others. Uh, doing, you know, really fantastic work. There's no football at the moment to look at, but there's no end of football. And us, of course, as Portuguese football fans, we're lucky. There's just a whole wealth of, you know, brilliant memories to to go back on, uh, to, you know, to look back on. And so, uh, yeah, that's one thing which has obviously been quite a, a dominant uh, feature of the site since the football stopped, which is just, you know, looking back, looking back at great matches, classic matches, just classic goals you mentioned is a you know fantastic feature which Sean actually started before the pandemic which was on this day where he'd uh, he just started it on Twitter but you know it's he's had such a good reaction to it that it's uh, it's kind of been rolled out to the site as well and so you know he picks out fantastic goals fantastic moments and then just describes a little bit about the actual event itself and maybe the career of the the person in question or at that time. So that that's obviously proved quite popular. And, uh, you know, you, you see this around a lot of the Portuguese media as well. I think I've been quite impressed in general, even just the normal sites like, uh, you know, Maj Football. And again, Sean's done quite a lot of this, which is talking about how people are coped or are coping. You know, it's just quite interesting. You know, these are professional athletes, their whole job, uh, their you know, their, their whole life really is based around performing as best they can uh you know on a on a football pitch all of a sudden they've been told they have to stay at home you know or maybe just do a little bit of training in their back garden or whatever so it's been very interesting to see how how they've reacted you know how they're trying to keep themselves fit uh just how you know their thoughts on you know how, how things are going to be going forward then also some of the you know some of the bigger sites for instance the official portuguese football federation site canal uh, oms uh, Channel 11, they've done some some fantastic stuff, which is just showing old matches, you know, old uh, Selecao matches. Uh, just uh, I like it when they actually put on the actual commentary of the time. So you're watching it almost as if, you know, you've been transported back in time. It's not, uh, you know, you're not looking, you're not looking at it through today's eyes, as it were. And it's, you know, it's been fantastic. For instance, they. They did virtually the whole uh, Euro 2016, as you'd expect, uh, tournament. They showed all of those matches, you know, start to finish. Uh, I like, I like of- how that one ended, Tom. I really do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, one way to kind of lift the mood of the station, just just do that every week, isn't it, basically? <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> kidding. You never get bored of watching that. So, yeah, that's good. Uh, also, Porto, I've been impressed with Porto's official, uh, you know, media uh, social media outlets they've been doing a really good thing in the last few days which is uh, having uh, zoom sessions and bringing together some of the legends you know and they've really got you know some of their biggest names in their in their Absolutely. recent history yeah jose Mourinho, vita bahia you know george kosh the deco people like that all getting together and just chatting talking about i think, you know, I think they even matches. had uh, i think they even had pinta costa on uh yeah 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 uh, maybe right, yeah. maybe uh, friday or saturday uh of, yeah. of this week or yeah of this week so 
yeah, it's yeah. it's been great. Yeah, yeah. So that's obviously you no. Know, yeah, always got interesting things to say, of course. And uh, and then you know just everyone I think doing their little bit. You know, Nathan Motes has also been doing some great retrospectives of some of Portugal's slightly less high profile matches and tournaments, which you know make again for very interesting reading because there there may be matches or tournaments which you don't immediately think have such a big place in Portuguese football uh, history in, in, in the history of the Celestial. But, you know, it's all part it's all part of the puzzle, which, of course, ended or, well, didn't end, but uh, had a, a, its culmination in 2016. And uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, the years and the tournaments before that, seeing what happened, which I think all contributed in in some way to, you know, to finally that in, incredible day in Paris. And so, yeah, you know, I think it's, uh, I think we're quite blessed in a way, just being Portugal fans and uh, Portuguese football fans, you know, even club football going way back, way back to even before we were born, Danny, but uh, but just in our lifetimes, in our kind of relatively fresh memory, just the last 20 years, it's just been amazing, hasn't it, being a Seller South fan? And so, Absolutely. you know, that's, that's probably got a... Uh, you know, months and months and months of, uh, you know, potential material to look back on there. You know, if Nathan's working on some uh, lesser known uh, competitions, um, you know, we always give praise to 2016 as, you know, the first time that Portugal raised uh, an international trophy. But, you know, I, I've, I've looked at this thing, I would say maybe a half dozen times, and I may, I may contact Nathan on this. So, Tom, are you aware of the Sky Dome Cup? The Sky Dome Cup. No, um, um, that, does, that means nothing to me. Well, you know, it will after I tell you. Um, the Sky Dome Cup was a soccer tournament played in late January of 1995 in uh, the Sky Dome Stadium, which is now the Rogers Center in Toronto, uh, between hosts Canada, European champions yeah. Denmark, and our Slesson. And ah. in a round-robin kind of tournament here, um, Portugal lifted the cup... On January the 29th, after a Paulo Alves goal in the 89th minute to beat Denmark's, uh, d- uh, the, the Danes, uh, 1-0. Uh, there's not a lot of history on this thing, but if Nathan wants some information on this thing, I'm, I'm ready to dig in and, and see if we can't uh, discover <laughs> how and why the one and only Sky Dome Cup came to be and... Um, yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah. So, Paolo Wells, there you go. Late winner from an unlikely source. There you go. I've, I've, heard, of, <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I hope, I hope, the, I hope that trophy is somewhere uh, at, at the Federation headquarters because it's the one and only. Yeah. It's a, it's a, rare, it's yeah. a rare cup there. Yeah, well, it's lots of, I'm sure you've seen lots of pictures, Danny, lately, of course, Portugal. They've had so much success recently in all forms of football. So there's those famous pictures going round of the, I think they had simultaneously, what was it, the European Cup, the Nations League Cup, the Beach Soccer Cup, uh, the foot, uh, Futsal European Championship, I think, wasn't it? So, yeah, but I must admit, I didn't see the Sky Dome Cup in there. <laughs> Well, again, maybe, maybe again, one, one of these, uh, one of these things that, uh, one of the positives that may come from this pandemic is the discovery of the history of the Sky Dome Cup, uh, Sky Dome Cup, excuse me, uh, in, from uh, from Toronto way back in '95. Um, let's uh, let's go quickly to this last song and and bear with me. This is a a bit of a long lead up to this to the question I'm going to have here, but um, with the postponement of uh, the European Championship to next summer. Um, 
in some ways it comes at a very inopportune time for players who had hit their stride. Uh, I mean, most most notably, uh, Brun uh, Brun Fernandes uh, was just uh, you know just started off so well at, at, at Manchester United. You saw Diogo Jota at Wolves, um, you know, scoring in, in in both in the Premier League and in the Europa League. Uh, Renato Sanz was uh, was playing very very well in France. Uh, and it also kind of gives uh, some players a reprieve, whether through uh, through injury or or through form, to to try to get their form back. Guys like Icard Pereira and Gonçal Guedes and Andres Silva. Uh, what it also does to me um, is that it gives players who may have been a year away uh, an opportunity to maybe perhaps make an impact in the next uh, 12 to 16 months, as well as have Fernand Sanz perhaps make some tough decisions on players who may be at the end of, uh, of their road. So all that, all that to say and all that to ask, what do you think uh, the current state of the Slesson is and what kind of impact is the delay of the Euro going to have on this roster uh, next summer? Yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? I'm sure it's one lots of Selassal fans are asking, and probably one which lots of national team, you know, national team fans are asking all around Europe. Uh, you know, would it have been better for Portugal if the tournament was scheduled, went ahead as scheduled, and this pandemic never happened, or will they get some kind of disadvantage or disadvantage from it being a year from now, uh, a year later? Well, I suppose we'll never know the answer to that, will we? Because we can't play two tournaments. But, yeah, there's a few situations which stand out. You mentioned the one about the fact some of the players who are ageing a little bit uh, will be a year older and, uh, you know, a year less fresh. And, of course, that obviously the ones which obviously stand out are the, the centre-back uh, partnership of, uh, well, Ruben Diaz will still be there, obviously. So there's no problem there. He's just, you know, at the start of his career. But his normal uh, partner, of course, would be Pep. Uh, and Pep, you know, really is starting to show his age a little bit, not quite, at least at club form uh, for Porto, not quite the same level as he has been throughout his career, understandably. You know, I think he's, what was he, 36, is he? Or getting on for 36 now. Uh, Jose Font, uh, same situation as well. So there's no doubt about it, that is a worry. The only thing I would say about that is centre-back is perhaps one of the positions on the pitch, I'd say, along with goalkeeper, where players tend to, uh, you know, play uh, well into their mid-30s, sometimes beyond their mid-30s, without too much of a drop-off. Of course, we need only look back to 2016, Euro 2016. And can you remember the centre-back partnership that started that tournament, Danny? Uh, the partnership that started that tournament would have been Fernand. No, wait, I'm sorry, in 2016? Yeah, 2016. Oh. Portugal's centre-back partnership. That would have been uh, Ricardo Carvalho. Absolutely. And, yeah. and Bruno Alves? No, no, it yeah, would have been... Uh, or no, it would have been Pep. It would have been Ricardo uh, Carvalho and Pep, correct? Absolutely, Look correct, correct. <laughs> no, well remembered, that's right. <laughs> and Ricardo Carvalho, I remember before that tournament... Uh, in the lead-up to the tournament, I remember uh, it was very interesting that Fernando Santos had done something very different in that tournament. He'd picked 
the youngest ever player to go to a major tournament for Portugal and the oldest ever player to go to a tournament for Portugal. The youngest was Renato Sanchez and the oldest was Ricardo Carvalho. And, uh, you know, he played the first three group matches. And so, you know, he played his part. And uh, he uh, then, of course, Jose Font came in, did a great job and never lost his place. But, you know, that does kind of show you that I think, uh, you know, Pep or Font, one of those two, even if they, uh, you know, it is the chosen partner of Ruben Diaz next year. Uh, it may not be, you know, such a terrible thing. But uh, I'd say another uh, slight disadvantage for Portugal would be, let's face it, there were those players you just mentioned that were on, on fire. And Bruno Fernandes, I mean, I just feel so sorry for the guy in general because, I mean, he, you know, he finally got his move to the big time from Sporting. And uh, he's just actually took the Premier League by form. You could, you, he was certainly one of the most talked about footballers on the planet. Uh, you know, he just went there and just immediately became kind of the boss of that team and Manchester United's best player in, you know, he literally just walked into the team and he was, you know, it had been as if it, it was as if he'd been there for for years. Tom, and, uh, Tom, it says a lot when he's been there barely a month, and they're and they're throwing out comparisons like Paul Scholes to uh, to. Yeah, from, I mean that's that's yeah. a, that's a huge compliment to him. Absolutely, absolutely. So in some ways, it's a shame. Of course, the other the other way of putting it, the other way of looking at it, is that of course there's no reason why in one year's time he doesn't maintain his form. And actually, this is one thing I mentioned to a few United fans when I was getting lots of questions about him. When a transfer was made, I'd say one problem, potential problem for Bruno Fernandes is that he's played so much football in the last uh, four or five years, nonstop, nonstop. You know, he's played for Sporting. He, he was just never dropped, played every single game, 50, 60 games a season. Uh, he went to the World Cup, of course. He, uh, you know, he, he played in the Nations League. Uh, he's just basically had so much football in his legs and he'd never had any injuries. So... That you know, you had you always had the potential there that he'd just get a bit burnt out, or maybe he'd pick up a bad injury. So perhaps, perhaps looking on the bright side, you know, uh, him having a few months off might actually give his body the chance to you know properly recuperate, and so he'll maintain this form in the next few years. Uh, also, of course, on the upside, uh, we have to mention Ricardo Pereira, who's just been absolutely fantastic uh, the last two or three seasons. Uh, especially, and especially this, I think the last couple of seasons, he's really starting to get the credit he deserves in England for Leicester. And of course, uh, he seemed to have a terrible bit of luck when he got a bad uh, injury uh, just uh, just at the start of, uh, of this calendar year uh, that ruled him out of Euro 2020. But, uh, you know, in a year's time, he should be back. And so hopefully if he's fit, that could actually be an advantage for Portugal. And then I'd say there's two players, I'll pick out two players who... You could say, arguably, again, this is perhaps a good thing that the that the tournament has been put back a year, which is Joao Felix, who had such a brilliant season at Benfica in his breakout season. But I think if we're honest, we have to say he slightly failed to live up to expectations at Atletico, or at least his adaptation hasn't gone as smoothly as as he would have hoped, for sure. And uh, and I'd, I'd actually put in uh, Bernardo Silva in, into the list as well of... Uh, you know, he's such a fantastic player that, uh, you, you know, even just a slight drop off, uh, he still remains, a, you know, a really big weapon for Portugal. But I think 
speaking to a few Manchester City fans, they say he just really this season hasn't really hit the heights that he's shown in, in, in the previous two seasons. So, you know, if those two come back, uh, if those two hit top form, and then you've also got the fact that maybe Francisco Trincao, you know, one of Portugal's real big hopes for, you know, maybe a next big superstar coming out of Portugal. Uh, maybe if he gets, uh, you know, a few months under his belt, either at Barcelona or on loan somewhere at La Liga, uh, you know, even he could come into the equation. So I don't honestly think some people, this is kind of glass half full, glass half empty situation, isn't it? Uh, I don't actually think it's such a bad thing that this tournament has been postponed a year from Portugal's point of view. You're listening to uh, episode number 29 of the Slesson podcast. Our thanks to uh, to Tom Cundert for joining us to uh, to talk about life in Portugal uh, after or during, I should say, um, the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Tom, uh, these are scary times, and I did not uh, prep you on this, but I, I kind of want to end off with a perhaps a humorous rapid-fire quarantine questions, if you don't mind. <laughs> Okay. All right. So, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll an, uh, answer these the best you can. I'm springing this on you right here at the end, and I uh, appreciate you being a good sport. So let's, let's just, uh, if you're ready, let, we'll, we'll, we'll start here. Okay. All right. What is the strangest food combination you've enjoyed since uh, sheltering in place? Uh, pizza and rice. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> the longest you've gone without either showering or brushing your teeth? Ah. Uh. <laughs> That's a nasty question, Danny. <laughs> that is below the belt. I understand. Uh, I understand. But l- yeah. listen, if, if it's I'll, you know, I'll go. I'll listen. I'll, it's been, yeah. Yeah, I think two well, days. No, two days is. Yeah. I think two days is the uh, is the norm now. Well, the only thing I say is, thank God, technology has not progressed so far that kind of smells uh, permeate through the internet. You wouldn't. You so, wouldn't want uh, it. On, you wouldn't want it on my end, my friend. That's that's <laughs> <laughs> that's for, that's yeah. for sure. Uh, how are how are we doing on uh, toilet paper supply? Uh, uh, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the biggest danger to our toilet paper supply has been the fact that my son insists on uh, doing those, uh, you know, toilet paper challenges and stuff like that. And so. <laughs> I think two of them have uh, gone out of the window and we live on the seventh floor. So that's, uh, you know, permanently lost. But uh, apart from that, we're managing to get by. Uh, what show or shows have uh, have you binged um, on any kind of streaming services that you would uh, that you would recommend to the listeners? Uh, well, to be honest, I've just been absolutely OK. I'm, I don't want to get political here, but uh, I'll just say this as simply as I possibly can. I have become strangely kind of hooked on watching President Donald Trump's uh, press conferences. Uh, wow. I'll say, no, I'll say no more. All right. Hey, listen, that's, that's some reality TV, and I'll also leave it at that as well. <laughs> uh, what has been your, uh, your go-to garment since uh, sheltering in place? Oh, PJs has to be, <laughs> pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> That's going back to your first question or second question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All righty. Yeah. And then, uh, and then lastly, what's the, what's the first thing uh, you're going to do? The first place you're going to visit, the first thing you're going to eat uh, when hopefully this thing is over uh, sooner than later? Oh, good question. That is good question. I think it would have to be bacalhau asado because uh, I can't, I can make that at home, but it sometimes somehow never turns out uh, the same as uh, one of my local restaurants here. Just a simple Portuguese dish, and I just absolutely adore it. So, 
yeah, that would definitely be uh, where I'll be heading to as soon as this is over. Uh, as far as where to go to, uh, I think just a trek to Alvalade or even the Stadio de Luz, just to walk into a football stadium again and see, uh, you know, actual live football and hopefully, uh, you know, a full crowd and everyone's safe. That would just be something amazing. Yeah, that would be ideal and it would be a, a welcome sight, that's for sure. Uh, Tom, you're the best. Appreciate you coming on uh, this uh, this episode. Uh, it had been a while since uh, since I had put anything out. It kind of was in in the mode where uh, I didn't feel like doing an episode just because of everything going on. But you know, as you mentioned, there's so much. Uh, there's a different way of doing this now. Uh, almost, it, it is the new normal for a lot of things. And uh, I definitely wanted to get you on to to see how everything is going in Portugal. Uh, and uh, and and I I can't thank you enough for for your uh, for your candid responses and, and letting everybody know what's going on and and hopefully we'll be we'll be talking about something on the field soon more likely uh, behind closed doors for for a while but uh, it, it there's if there's anything in the world that we can kind of gleam onto it's it's hope so uh, it, it, if hope can be out there in the in the ether um, we should we should grab onto that as best we can. Yeah, absolutely, Danny. Yeah, always a pleasure, Danny. Great, great hearing from you. You know, just uh, stay safe. Hope everyone's well wherever they are in the world listening to this. And yeah, uh, you know, just really looking forward to talking about actual football again, uh, hopefully in a not too distant future. You got it, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, folks. So you guys have heard uh, from Tom Kundert. He obviously gave us the report uh, from uh, from Portugal and how things are going uh, in uh, in his neck of the woods, uh, we bring in uh, now Eric Krakauer from BN Sports to give us kind of a more global uh, look at what football and soccer has been like um, since this pandemic has uh, has uh, become a reality for uh, for all of us uh, soccer and football fans. You can follow Eric, of course, on social media at uh, Eric Krakauer. That's E R I C K R A K A U E R. Eric, welcome back to uh, the Celeste Podcast, but how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. We were talking a little bit off air about what life is like in quarantine with children. You have two. I have one. I have no idea how you do it because uh, I'm exhausted uh, 24 <laughs> hours a, a day. And I do get a, an opportunity every once in a while to, uh, to do some work uh, on camera from home. And that's usually when she's taking a nap. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm glad you're able to uh, to do uh, to do some work at home. Uh, I've seen the setup, uh, some questionable scarves, uh, in my opinion. But <laughs> uh, but I'm glad you're able to do uh, to do that from uh, from home. Um, how how has life been with uh, with uh, two permanent roommates, twenty four seven? Well, I think that they have more to put up with with me <laughs> than I than I do with them. To uh, to be honest, and now we have another roommate because we decided yesterday in unison uh, to a adopt a um, a sheltered cat, and uh, she has taken to this place like a boss. Um, she basically dictates where she goes, when she goes there. And we sort of revolve around her. So now we have um, a 14-month-old baby and a 17-month-old cat uh, <laughs> calling calling all the shots in this apartment. So there was a, so there was some transfer business done uh, in this quarantine period. That's pretty good. There was it. There was indeed. <laughs> oh well, Eric. First of all, uh, thank you so much for uh, for joining us uh, on this on this episode, episode number 29. Uh, as I mentioned, I talked to I talked to Tom earlier in the episode and. 
he kind of gave us a, a lay of the land of of how things are going in Portugal uh, on both the uh, on both the COVID and and um, and soccer front. But um, obviously, you working at a at a network uh, like BN Sports that that covers soccer, um, we kind of saw the pandemic coming. Um, you know, a, a, a few days, obviously, uh, prior to a lot of stuff getting suspended, just seeing how it was impacting uh, sports. You know, obviously in in the in the states, um, I think it, it first rang true um, in the NBA when uh, the game between the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City uh, Thunder was postponed due to uh, Rudy Gobert testing positive for for the coronavirus. But uh, what were the days like for you and your colleagues at, at BN Sports? Uh, leading up towards the, the the postponement and the halt of, of soccer around the world, and, and and what do you think, and what are your thoughts on the subsequent uh, reactions to the approaches that the different leagues have taken? Well, I think it was a little bit of a nebulous time because, like everybody else, we were getting conflicting messages uh, from various governments. I guess we saw what was happening in China, and we. There was a feeling, I think, that it was going to become a pandemic, but I don't think a lot of people, uh, including us, realized that this would bring the entire world, let alone the sporting worlds, uh, to a to a halt. And when this was actually becoming, when we realized that this was actually going to happen, it was it was interesting to see, and somewhat dumbfounding to see how different leagues reacted to um, to this pandemic. I, I am still stupefied that there were a couple of Champions League games and Europa League games played when it became quite clear that this was going to become a problem that was going to be reckoned with and it was going to potentially be a devastating problem as it has uh, become. Now, as you said, you know I work for BN Sports and we, we hold the rights to the Turkish Super League and we had a few games. We had another round of games that was played without fans in the stadium. I called a few of those games. And I was surprised that those games went ahead because the entire world had postponed or canceled their seasons. Uh, the Libertadores also made a, a late decision. And yet Turkey decided to truck on. And as we continue to see in Belarusia, They've continued with their campaign as well. So it's certainly curious to see how different football governing bodies made the decision to um, to cancel or postpone everything. But in hindsight, you get the feeling that many of the decisions were made just a little bit too late. Yeah, we're talking with Eric Krakauer of BN Sports. He's uh, kind enough to join us here on uh, episode number 29 of the Slits on Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Pinto. Uh, you know, just talking uh, life during this uh, during COVID nineteen, and and especially in the soccer and the football world, um, there's there's so many like legalities and and contracts, Eric. Uh, whether it be uh, TV contracts, player contracts, uh, coaches, you know, you name it. Um, and, and I guess what I'm what I may be asking you, it may may not be fair given all those all those uh, scenarios here, but if you Eric Krakauer was the czar of football uh, for the entire world. Uh, what would you do with the with the leagues uh, around the world? Would you, especially with the European leagues, they're they're anywhere between you know seventy, you know six sixty to seventy percent uh, completed. 
Um, you know, with the MLS, they had just started uh, their 25th uh, season. I think they're two or three games in. What would you do, um, and how would you go about, uh, you know, either finishing the leagues or or doing anything with the leagues? What would what would you do? Well, first of all, I like the uh, the sound of SAR Krakauer of, or football SAR. Sounds I, I intimidating. Do, I, it really does. <laughs> well, not not at all. Uh, not <laughs> once you see me. Uh, but um, you know, it, it, it's a really complicated matter, and you know, I've been fortunate enough to be able to work ever since uh, the unwelcome arrival of the coronavirus. And uh, one of the things or a few of the topics that we have been talking about at a uh, at a considerable clip is exactly, you know, the continuation of the leagues, the postponement of the leagues, contractual issues, whether those be with players or sponsorship companies. For example, Liverpool right now find themselves in a little bit of a mess because June 30th marks the end of their deal with New Balance and the beginning of their contract with Nike. And and that is a a situation that I think still has to be sorted out. Look, I I don't necessarily know how you'd go about solving this. I have been a I've been pretty firm on the stance that I think we need to complete the seasons uh, because that seems to me financially like uh, what needs to happen. You have TV revenue, for example, that is tied to the completion of these leagues. And as you know well, Danny, I mean, you talk about the, the Premier League or you talk about La Liga, which we have the rights to. They have incredible contracts sure. with TV networks. And for, for the most part, those, uh, the, the, the money that is paid uh, out in, in those contracts goes in increments. It gets paid out in increments. It's not just a one lump sum payment. And what you've essentially seen throughout Europe is a lot of TV networks saying, look, we're not going to give you this last lump sum because they also have to be concerned about their own survival. Um, you know, in order, if you are a network that, um, that caters in football mainly in, in, in soccer and all the leagues, well, let's just say sports and every single, uh, sporting activity has been postponed. And that is where you get your revenue. You are concerned about your outlay as well. And, and there's a considerable amount of money being spent on these leagues. So it seems to me that the most feasible thing to do is to complete the leagues. Now, how that happens depends on how long the coronavirus dictates the timetable. And as we've seen with the way that in the United States, the peak has hit states at different uh, periods of time, I think we're going to see leaks finish at different periods. Uh, and that creates a complication looking forward to the 2020-2021 season, if that is even a possibility. I've mentioned that this might set in motion um, a move towards a calendar year league like we see in, in a lot of places in South America, as we see in, with MLS, where we have a 2021 season. And because there are so many uncertainties about finishing the current season, I don't even think we can look forward to the next campaign, wherever that is. So for me, and I don't know if, if I've sort of gone on tangents no, here. No, no, so for good. me, the most, 
the most realistic uh, situation seems to be finishing these leagues, and, and FIFA has actually stepped in and given an open window uh, for domestic leagues to, to complete the ca- their campaigns. Finish the campaign, make sure that you get the revenue that you need, because one of the things that we have discovered through um, this pandemic is that so many clubs, even the biggest clubs in Europe, take Bar- Barcelona, for example, were basically uh, existing by spending most of their revenue. So they, they needed the revenue. They needed the ticket sale revenue in order to be above the red. Uh, now, that doesn't seem fiscally responsible to me, and it seems to me that we've, we're going to hit a reset button when it comes to uh, expenditures in the game. I don't think we're going to see $150 million transfers anymore, and I certainly hope not because I think spending that kind of money is immoral. Uh, but I think we're going to see a reset button when it comes to that. And I think that the only way that you're ever going to be able to gauge where you are after this pandemic financially is to complete the, the, the campaigns, get that TV revenue money, get the sponsorship money. But of course the, the one obstacle there and that you mentioned in your question is what do you do with player contracts? There are players who are, finishing out their contracts on June 30th. In fact, Bournemouth, we did a show recently on BN where we were looking at players in the Premier League who were ending their contracts and, and the teams they play for. Bournemouth, I believe, if memory serves me right, have seven players whose contracts end on June 30th. Now, if you're a team battling against relegation, battling to stave off relegation, you need everybody that you can use to, to win out that battle. Now, FIFA stepped in and said, look, you can extend contracts, but you have to agree. It has to be an agreement between clubs and players. Players may agree to, to extend their contracts a couple of months, but the one problem there is what happens if you suffer a serious injury and that you know, truncates your career or prevents you from signing for another club? So a lot of legal uh, complexities that I don't have a brain for or the grounding to... To, to answer anything about. But for me, it seems that finishing these campaigns in some way is the right way to go. Very interesting. Very interesting. It's uh, it's episode number 29 of the Celeste Song Podcast. You're listening to uh, Eric Krakauer here as he uh, breaks down uh, kind of the, uh, the ramifications of, uh, of what uh, this uh, pandemic has kind of brought to the, uh, to the sporting world, uh, especially in the world of uh, of football, uh, I am your host Danny Pinto. Um, Eric, obviously you're you're uh, you're able to to work from home uh, a little bit, which is again a a new normal for a lot of folks, uh, myself included. I'm I'm very fortunate to be able to 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 do my job from uh, from my home. Um, how has the day to day working for BN when you encompass working from home? How has that differed than uh, when you uh, when you head into uh, into the studio? Well, I think primarily it's a mindset, right? You go into work, and I feel like you shift into work mode, and so you have to be able to do that uh, at home when you are uh, in quarantine, and you're here every day. And, and and one of the ways that I've done that is by you know obviously changing my clothes and dressing up a little bit. Uh, one because I need to for our uh, live show at <laughs> seven p.m. Um, 
but that that helps a lot. The the other thing is Eric, communication. Eric, Eric, not to uh, not to interrupt you here, but do you go with the blazer and shirt and then shorts that they don't see look, or do you go full suit? Uh, I go for for shorts and the shirt and the blazer. Attaboy. Most most of the time. Most of the time. Attaboy. Uh, but there's actually a practical reason behind that. In my bedroom, we have a very large closet, which is hey, don't brag uh, about it, man. I mean, well, listen. well, hold on, well, hold on. Ninety nine percent of that closet is taken up by my fiance's clothing. Understood. So my closet is in my daughter's bedroom, and it just so happens <laughs> that. Uh, it, it, that the shows that we do tend to fall within the period when my daughter is is sleeping, which helps a lot. Absolutely. But I can't quite go in and, and, and get some of the clothes. So if I forget to get my pants, then I'm wearing shorts underneath um, where you can't see, obviously. Understood. Uh, and I think most people are doing that. But getting back to the but getting back to the question, <laughs> uh, the, the 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 biggest difficulty, other than a mindset, is communication. You know, when you are uh, in the offices uh, of the network, you meet with your producers, you go into a room, you discuss the show, you go over rundowns, you you um, you consider which ways you approach a story. Um, you know, and when everybody is in a room. It makes it a lot easier when you are meeting on Zoom. It's a much harder, but you know you have to wait for somebody to say something. You you don't see um, facial expressions as your cues. If I come up with an idea and I look at one of my producers and he's giving me the stink eye, I know that I should drop that idea immediately. And uh, <laughs> you know sometimes we don't have the camera on on Zoom, uh, which is suspicious. Uh, but uh, yeah, it makes it, it it makes that difficult. And then all the technical. The technical parts during the broadcast uh, are our responsibility. So we are given equipment by by the network, and then we we set it up with their instructions. And if there is a problem, we have a producer who's on the phone with us, uh, but we have to handle it ourselves. When we're in studio, uh, that certainly is not uh, within our purview of of concerns. So it, it changes things a little bit, but I think that for the most part, it, uh, it they go off without the shows go off without too many hiccups. You know, you you posted um, not too long ago on uh, on your Twitter account, and again, you can follow Eric on uh, on Twitter at uh, Eric Krakauer E R I C K R A K A U E R. You uh, you posted a picture of yourself um, a little less than a week ago with. Uh, you know, you had the you had the mask on, you had the headset on. Obviously, this is this is in uh, in BN Studios, correct? Yes. How, uh, yes. So that how is true? How is that? How is that situation in terms of? Obviously, we're we're asked to shelter in in, in place. Um, you know, there there are essential businesses in the state of Florida that have uh, been uh, been deemed essential. Um, the entertainment industry uh, being one of them. Um, but what's the feeling like now? ever since this started about leaving your house and then heading to the studio to go to work, uh, especially when you have the option, I guess, to, to do it from home. But what's that dynamic like uh, now going into the actual studio? Well, I think it, I think it, it should be noted that anytime 
there is a decision made by our superiors that people need to go to studio, it is because it is a necessity for a particular for a particular show. And one of the things that has uh, changed, I think, for me and and a lot of my colleagues is the comfort level of going to to work, because we know that BN is taking every possible precaution to make sure that sets, control rooms are as safe a- as possible. Um, people are all wearing uh, the appropriate attire. Very few people are allowed in the building. Um, there is social distancing between everybody. Uh, so because there are so many precautions in place, uh, I feel comfortable going uh, going to work, and I've been going a couple of times because we're rehearsing for for a show that we're that we're going to do, and of course, you know, I, I go there. I've gone there twice uh, since this whole thing has uh, has happened, and there are producers who have to go there on a on a regular basis because every show, for the most part, gets produced from from a, a control room, um, and they. They are very careful. Um, they follow every guideline. So while it is certainly different, and at first it was eerie because you don't see many people there, you're almost com- coming into a, a building that is empty, uh, I feel very secure in doing so because the because every precaution has been taken. You're listening to uh, episode number 29 of the Celeste Sound Podcast, and uh, you're hearing uh, Eric Krakauer, BN Sports, kind of giving us a breakdown of what it's like right now working for BN in this uh, in this uh, global pandemic, um, you know, Eric, we we uh, we mentioned the MLS uh, earlier in the in in, in the uh, interview here, and obviously they they began their their twenty fifth silver anniversary uh, season, and obviously that's been kind of brought to a halt here after uh, just a, a few weekends. But um, Inter Miami uh, had had finally debuted. Uh, long-awaited debut this season, and uh, you and uh, along with a co-host uh, by the name of Frank uh, Panizzo, you guys had started uh, the Miami Total Football Radio podcast, which covered uh, Inter Miami. So uh, obviously, uh, it, <laughs> there, there's been a halt to the season, but uh, but just uh, to go to the to the you know beginning of of getting involved in this project, how did you get involved in the project, and, and uh, what's it what's it been like to kind of do these shows with you know, the, the pandemic, uh, you know, uh, halting everything. Yeah, well, it's been a problem. We've actually only done one show uh, since since the pandemic, uh, mostly because there is no content. And the show that we did, we were doing remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it actually happened pretty organically. Franco Panizzo, who I'm sure you know and, and perhaps many of your followers do and listeners, has been covering MLS for the better part of – of a decade, he actually is one of the reporters I think who's got his uh, nails well dug into to how the the league works, and he gets you know exclusives. And he was based in New York, but decided uh, at the beginning of this year it, in January, I believe, to move back to uh, to South Florida, where he actually is from. To be closer to his family and to uh, to to work here in the warmth, it turns out that it was a pretty good decision considering everything that we are unfortunately seeing in New York City, where I lived for for 17 years. 
Um, and I lived in Queens as well, which is one of the boroughs that has been the hardest hit by, by COVID-19. But when Franco decided to come down here, he was considering uh, starting a podcast to cover Inter-Miami. He asked me if I'd be interested in I had time, and since Franco and I have been have been friends for quite a few years, because we always used to bump into each other in the press rooms, whether it be the New York Red Bulls or NYCFC, I decided uh, that yeah, it would be interesting because I actually miss MLS, or I missed MLS after leaving New York. I missed uh, going to live games, even though Miami FC were here, uh, are here, continue to be here. Um, so it was a project that we both wanted to embark on and it's, it, it's been, it's been fun. And now of course, uh, we don't know what's going to happen with MLS. They're in the same situation as everybody else. And we'll see how the podcast continues from there. Yeah. I listened a little bit to, I believe it was your last, uh, podcast. I think it was on the 7th of April and you kind of, yeah, that would have been the last one. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys were kind of addressing this, uh, this a little bit, but I'll, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, in terms of like financial ramifications, you know, enter enter Miami. Obviously, uh, they it, AEG owns everything in in the MLS, but there's a lot of backing um, with uh, with with Miami. Uh, has there has there been uh, any kind of um, either concern or or discussion as to as to how an expansion franchise kind of survives its first season when there's nothing going on? Well, I think this is where the issue of centralization comes into it. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't like the fact that MLS is essentially a centralized entity. It is one entity that that controls everything. And I actually think that – and look, I'll tell you right off the bat that I'm not someone who knows the ins and outs of MLS financially. I know very sure. basic I- information and I'm pretty sure that a lot of your listeners know more about this than me, but the fact that it's a centralized league, um, I think is actually helped the league because you don't have these clubs navigating by themselves navigating these turbulent, uh, waters. But having said that, Something like 70% of the revenue, actually that may be a little bit too much, but certainly a large swath of, of, of club revenue in MLS comes from uh, match day revenue, so ticket sales. And because they don't have that, that causes a, 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 a distinct problem. In fact, uh, I, I, I forget the name right now, but one of the uh, co-owners of the Seattle Sounders recently gave a, an interview where he said that the league stands to lose millions. I think he even used the, 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 the word billions of, of dollars if the league doesn't um, start up again whenever it is safe to, to do so. So, of course, like every other league, I know that MLS is suffering. This was a huge uh, blow for, for Inter-Miami because they had managed – over the past couple of years in particular to uh, really uh, get get an enthusiastic support in this city for 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 the club with inter Miami has I think three uh, if not four supporters groups that are very much involved with with the club and the games were suspended, I think, three days before Inter-Miami's first home game. And there was a lot of hype in this city uh, about that game. There was a lot of hype about 
Inter Miami's first two games, which were away from home with a lot of viewer, viewers parties, which is something that you don't see in every MLS market. People getting together in bars, um, so actual appropriate designations for for these parties. Uh, it's it, it's something that has become quite cultural uh, here in, in Miami, and it's sad uh, that uh, it was interrupted, but. Overall, I think that every club is feeling uh, the pinch, and we do know that when it comes to the main to main M- MLS employees in the main office, there has been a scaled uh, wage reduction. I think the executives took a 25% wage reduction, and then it depends on how much money uh, you earn. So, like everybody else, leaking money—that's for sure. Yeah, uh, you know, one of uh, one of my previous guests and, and a good buddy of mine, uh, Eric Vieira. He is a co-host uh, of the uh, the Corner of the Galaxy podcast, which covers the LA Galaxy, and he and he mentioned what you mentioned too is is having you know a, a centralized ownership of the league overall uh, may be a benefit um, in in something in a situation like this. Um, so yeah, we it, it remains to be seen what um, what what the league will do and and how the league will will, will move forward. You know, being I believe it's only two games in. Um, would if if I mean, would you just restart this with this season and just start from scratch, being that it's only gone two matches, or would you try to find some other way to uh, complete whatever remnants of of a season uh, the the MLS would have left? No, I don't think so. Uh, the The biggest problem going forward is figuring out how you're going to fit in every game into a very short period of time. So I don't think you start over. I do think we're going to have to see one of two things, a condensed regular season or uh, a scrapping of the playoffs. Now, I doubt because we live in the United States of America and playoffs are like a religion in, in this country. Sure. I don't think MLS would do away with playoffs. What I think they're going to do is condense the regular season, perhaps just limit it to uh, a, just one game uh, between uh, opponents, uh, no return uh, schedule, uh, if you will. And I think that there is a possibility that that can be done. Whether that happens before the end of 2020, I certainly don't know because, and you and I talked about this, uh, just given what we are seeing from from uh, those people in the know, this is going to last a, a, a very long time. And I just don't see how leagues are going to be able to justify shoehorning leagues when it is still dangerous to be uh out and about in in groups and i'm and i'm talking about not even having people in the stands i'm talking about exposing players to each other and the only way that's ever going to happen is if testing mass testing is available to everybody so that you know that you are not putting an opponent or even a teammate or a staff member at risk yeah, finally, Eric. Um, I, I wanted to get your take uh, a little bit on uh, on on Portugal, and um, and obviously, uh, the defending European champions will, will have to wait one more year uh, for for the defense of that. So, uh, I'll gladly, I guess, say that we are the first five year reigning European. Absolutely. Champs. I mean, I know I know Spain won it back to back, but that's two different tournaments. So, I mean, that they've never done it for five years and with one trophy, Eric, but. Uh, <laughs> but um you know my, my question and, and I and I posed this to uh to Tom earlier 
what kind of impact in terms of the roster and in terms of the squad in terms of selection based off of what Nunsunch has has uh, selected in the past year or so a a 12 to 16 month difference here in terms of us getting to Euro 2021 now we'll call it um there should I, I do see some uh, some semblance of of some turnover in some certain uh, areas, uh, but what do you think of the current status, uh, the current state of uh, of the of the Portuguese team, and what could you see? Kind of just your opinion of what we could see next summer. I think this is a bit of a headache for Fernando Santos. Let's start with the defensive sector. I mean, we were already struggling to figure out who was going to play alongside Ruben Dias because Pep is getting up there in age. What is he, 36 now? He's had some injuries with Porto. He actually had some injuries when he was with Besiktas as well. So even though he is still very much, I think, a very good center back, there were questions about his uh, endurance, his ability to be at his best at Euro 2020. And then you look at, who else is going to partner him? I mean, you've got uh, um, what can I think of his name at uh, at Lille right now? Uh, Josef Font, yes. You got Josef Font, who's also uh, getting older. Maybe this is an opportunity for somebody like Ferro from your beloved Benfica to to step up. But we don't. I think the jury is still out whether Ferro is still a, is a good enough starting center back for a national team. Uh, even though I think he's shown some 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 good signs, um, definitely. You, let's talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo is 35 years old. Yes, he is scoring in droves at Juve. He's uh, equaled Gabriele Batistuta's uh, consecutive scoring record, albeit he did take a break uh, in, 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 in that run, and Batistuta did not. But he's going to be 36 years old. Um, 36-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo will still be better than 75% of all professional players. But is he, going to, is he going to be the guy who is going to absolutely make the difference like he has in qualification, like he has in, in, in so many tournaments? So I think it behooves Fernando Santos to start thinking about what alternatives there may be in that position. Uh, I mean, there is some good news too. If you, if the Portuguese national team is going to bet on somebody like João Félix, well, he gets another year under his belt, and his form has been far from great at Atletico Madrid. I've called a lot of their games. I don't think it's entirely his fault. I think the system doesn't suit him. Uh, but there's also an ad- adaptation period that will continue because of this break. Perhaps you get the Bruno Fernandes becoming an even better player because he is playing in a better league against higher caliber players week in and week out. So there are positives. But when you look at important players and their age, you absolutely have to be concerned about about this team. And I don't know whether the young players... Uh, take a Gonzalo Guedes, uh, f- for example, uh, have proven that, and listen, I'm mindful that he scored the winner in the Nations League against sure. Holland, but have proven they are that they are consistent enough performers for being starters and players who can carry on doing the work that has been done over the last few years with this Portuguese national team. 
for well, sure. Well, yeah, and I mean, you, uh, Gonzalo Guedes uh, scored the winner uh, in for the in the Nations League final. Uh, Eder scored the the winner uh, in extra time, or uh, in, against against France to to bring to bring home the Euro. These are obviously not household names in terms of everyday uh, contributors to this last song, but everyone has their day. But I I, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, it's uh, you know there needs to be some proving of of this of this uh, younger uh, generation um, as the older one does uh, does come out um it, it's it's interesting and depending on again and depending on how these leagues go like what kind of form are not only portugal but the rest of these european squads going to be like um you know come next summer and and uh and for this uh, this european tournament it's going to be very interesting indeed eric um, yeah uh, just, just sorry to cut you yeah, off i mean that's that's another important thing right what kind of domestic leagues are we going to be seeing to get these players at tip top level but you could say that about any league couldn't you right Absolutely. you could say I, or, i mean any national team i mean you could say that about holland or 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 spain but but i think it's mostly glass half full though because we do have you look at the the you know pound for pound, player for player, we have a lot of talent in our national team. Uh, but unfortunately, just like in 2016, by the way, where there were concerns about the the center uh, center back tandem, uh, Ricardo Carvalho played a couple of those games, yep. uh, and he was he was up there uh, in age. There were doubts about whether José Font was going to be able to Uh, rise to the level that he had to be at, and he met, by the way, because he was he was fantastic. He was same unreal. concerns, yeah. Same concerns going into in, into this tournament. But having said that, we do know certain things. We got Ricardo Pereira, one of the best right backs in the world. He's certainly going to be there. You got Rafael Guerreiro. Whether he ends up playing in midfield, I don't think so. He'll continue to be the left back. You look at Bruno Fernandes. You look at uh, you look at. Um, our boy at uh, Bernardo Silva at Manchester City, we still have a very, a very good core, and I'm still very hopeful about 2021 if that's what they end up calling the Euro. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, finally, Eric. Uh, first off, I want to thank you, obviously, for for the time. Uh, you know, we're we're both stuck at home, but still. Thank you for your time because we both have oh, <laughs> we both have uh, families that are wondering why we're taking so long on this interview. But uh, I just wanted to uh, a- uh, ask you some uh, some rapid fire quarantine questions if uh, if you're <laughs> if you're up for it. All right, all right. Let's see. Okay, Let's see if I'm up there. All right, go all right, ahead. Here we go. How are you doing on toilet paper? Have enough, but I didn't hoard. Very, you know, what? good for you. Good for you. What's the uh, what's the longest you've gone without either showering or brushing your teeth? Not not very long. I've I've tried to maintain. I've I've tried to maintain to uh, to the routine. Hygi- to the routine. Yeah, hygiene's important, so that's good. Uh, what's the uh, what's the strangest food combination you've enjoyed since uh, sheltering in place? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, you know what? I'm lucky enough to say I haven't had to do anything crazy. I have a very handy fiance in the kitchen, and I'm pretty good at a few things as well. So we've been good in that department. A lot of salads. Not, okay, nice, nice. Uh, what is uh, what show or shows have you binged on, and would recommend uh, to listeners? Embarrassingly, I'm not recommending it, but I've watched Love Is Blind, which is enough to to give you an aneurysm. Uh, <laughs> I am watching Narcos right now, the second season. And what did I just finish that was really good? Oh, Ozark. I just finished the third season. Certainly recommend Ozark. It's fantastic. And if you haven't seen Shit's Creek, 
You have to watch Shit's Creek if you like things that are funny. You know, my wife has been watching. Uh, my wife actually just finished Ozark, and she's been telling me Shit's Creek is uh, is pretty good as well. So I may uh, I may pick up. You um, married well, my friend. You married well. Don't I know it, buddy? Uh, <laughs> uh, what is what's been your go to garment since the sheltering in place has uh, has happened? Who uh, shorts? Nice. Definitely shorts. Definitely shorts. Yeah. Listen, are you listening, ladies? Huh? <laughs> and then uh, finally, what's the uh, what's the first thing you're gonna do? First place you're gonna visit? First uh, thing you're gonna eat uh, when this thing finally uh, is uh, is over? Hopefully, sometime soon. Uh, eat probably some tacos. Even though it's been hard to find good tacos in Miami, I found one good place here in Hollywood, which isn't isn't Miami. And kicking a ball, man. Uh, I mean, I, you know what I do? I'm fortunate enough. You know, I said earlier in the show that I used to live in New York and I had a pretty decent apartment for, for a bachelor at the time, but going out in this current situation would have been almost an impossibility. I'm very lucky now that I, you know, with the weather in Florida, the fact that I have uh, essentially what is, what is a backyard, I can juggle the ball by myself. Uh, I've posted videos of my daughter who thankfully has become obsessed with a soccer ball. She woke up the other morning, and the first thing she said was goal. Um, nice. So, so either I'm doing something very wrong or I'm doing something very right. But I cannot wait to just get on a football field, man, and tackle somebody with all the fury in the world. Because uh, maybe you're like me in this way. That is the one place where I, you know, where I get I let out all my frustrations. I'm I'm sort of calm and even-handed because I get to knock some people around on the soccer field legally. Uh, you know, I feel sorry for the guy who's about to get studded by you uh, when this thing uh, is <laughs> when this <laughs> thing is all over, but I'm sure it'll be welcomed on on both sides, but yeah, just trying to trying to get back to some sort of sporting normal. Um, you Absolutely. Know, as, as you know, you you work in the business, obviously you had a background in playing and in, in in, you know, soccer and football aren't the the only interest that you and I that you and I have and it's Sports is 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 strange right now. Uh, I actually am loving the the kind of the retrospectives that uh, that networks are, are doing in terms of uh, older you know uh, you know going to to games from three, four, ten, fifteen years ago. Um, I, I you know, I've been watching uh, you know not to not to, to kiss uh, kiss your ass a little bit here, but I've been watching uh, the 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 ninety and thirty on on BN. Uh, a lot just because I don't have to sit through the 90. I could just sit through yeah. the 30 and get my fix that way. So And listen, we have a lot of leagues to I mean for Libertadores, Sudamericana, La Liga, Liga and the Turkish Super League. There is plenty of football for your taste and and since you mentioned that actually next Friday at 10 o'clock at night for your listeners, we're playing a Clasico from a few years ago. I won't tell you which one and uh, I will be sitting down with Andres Cordero, who is not only the play-by-play, one of my play-by-play partners at uh, at BN Sports, but he's also the voice, or will be the voice of Inter Miami here for local uh, TV. And he and I are going to sit through this game. We're going to talk about the game, not commentate like normal commentators. And it's going to be live on Facebook, um, YouTube, and of course on our on our two channels. And you can send in comments and questions about the game. So I definitely encourage everybody next Friday at 10 o'clock to watch that. Be there, man. Uh, BN Sports next Friday. That would be what? Friday the 24th? I don't even know what month <laughs> we're in. 
I think it is. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, yeah, April twenty fourth, uh, ten p.m. Eastern. Uh, check out Eric uh, on this uh, Classico replay uh, again. Uh, which replay and which uh, which year it'll be? Um, you never know. But you, you'll find out. It's I'm, a good one though. It's a great game. I'm guessing. I'm guessing it'll be something involving Ronaldo versus Messi. I guess that'd be my only guess. No, we shall see. We shall, we shall see. see. I don't want to spoil anything. I don't... Eric, you're the best, man. Thank you very much. Stay safe. Uh, the best to uh, to your family, and uh, we will hopefully uh, talk soon and uh, hopefully have some actual soccer to uh, to discuss. I hope so. Thanks for having me on. All the best uh, to your beautiful family. Until next time. All right, brother. Thank you. And once again, a big thank you to Eric Krakauer of BN Sports. You can follow Eric again on Twitter at Eric Krakauer. That's E R. I-C-K-R-A-K-A-U-E-R. Uh, make sure if uh, if you've listened to this podcast, if you listen to this episode, obviously if you're listening to it, you're hearing me tell you that you've listened to it. But uh, let Eric know uh, what a great job he's done. Uh, that uh, what, what I want uh, as much as I could possibly get from you guys is when we have guests on uh, and we, we give their social media uh, contacts and stuff, let them know um, how, how great of a job uh, that they did on the show and, uh, and that their time was uh, was was well spent uh, here on the podcast. So, uh, yes, again, get uh, get uh, out out to Eric Krakauer. Let him know he did a great job, as well as Tom Cundert of Portugal.net. Again, follow Tom on Twitter at Portugal1. That's P-O-R-T-U-G-O-A-L and the number one. Obviously, our partnership with Tom has, has uh, benefited us uh, tremendously uh, with Portugal.net. Uh, but to get an idea from uh, from him, as to not only how things are going in Portugal, but how uh, his business, his his site, uh, has kind of um, you know kind of gone through, uh, and what the, the changes they've gone through uh, since this pandemic has has started was really interesting uh, as well. Uh, and I can't thank them both uh, for taking the time uh, for uh, uh, for coming on and uh, just uh, sharing their thoughts and their insights uh, during this crazy, crazy uh, time in uh, in the world. So. Uh, that's going to do it for episode number 29. Uh, greatly appreciate you guys listening. Uh, again, spread the word about the podcast as much as you can. Uh, I'm going to try to get some uh, some more pods and some more episodes uh, up with a little bit more frequency now that I kind of have a, a, a more sense of normal uh, in my life. And not even a sense of normal, a more sense of balance. Uh, my, my kids have been uh, tremendous in, in trying to help me balance out. Uh, and they do so by just being around me all day long. It's twenty four seven, which, you know, my wife reminds me uh, that as as bad as uh, the pandemic is, uh, we're not going to get this time, this uh, this solo time with our with our children uh, ever again once this thing is uh, once this thing is over. So, if you have someone, uh, whether it's children, a spouse, a parent, a friend, a relative. If you have those folks that are around you right now and they're around you 24-7, as much as they can annoy sometimes, uh, take it all in because uh, I, I have a feeling that uh, we're going to go through a little bit of withdrawal once the uh, once this pandemic is over. So just enjoy the time you have with your folks, with your kids, with your spouse, with anyone who you're quarantined with right now. Uh, make the best of it um, and just uh, enjoy the time together. Um, Given everything that's going on, I, I think it's probably one of the best things that we can do. Um, I also, again, want to thank all our uh, all our essential workers out there uh, every, uh, around the world who uh, who are putting themselves uh, in uh, in danger in order for us to have our society move forward and and stay uh, solvent, for for lack of a better term. Um, 
you know, our, our law enforcement, uh, firemen, uh, you know, grocers or delivery people. Uh, again, if I'm, if I'm missing anyone, I, I do apologize. Uh, geez, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, everything. Uh, a big thank you. And, and, and I, I hope, uh, that you guys understand how much we appreciate what you guys are doing and giving us the opportunity to stay home and to be with our families. Uh, and uh, you know, a quick shout out to, um, uh, my prima Anna. Anna is a, is a nurse here in, uh, in Sacramento, California. Uh, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to miss anyone who I'm friends with who are doing the same, but, uh, Anna has been, uh, a great source of not only knowledge on the, uh, uh, on what's going on in the hospitals, uh, but just what for, uh, what we should be doing at home. And, um, and, and I just, I, I love Anna. Uh, she's one of the, the best people to come into my life since I got married to my wife, Suzette. And, uh, our boys, uh, are, are <laughs> she has two boys. We have two boys, uh, her and her uh, husband, Brandon have, uh, have two great kids and, uh, we're missing hanging out with them. Uh, but we all know that this is all for, um, the greater good. And, uh, to my in-laws and my folks who, uh, haven't seen the boys in, in, in about a month, um, uh, thank paciencia, thank fe, and uh, and and this will this will get us through. And uh, I can't thank uh, my kids and my wife for keeping me as as calm as possible. So, uh, again, little soapbox there, but I hope you guys uh, hope you guys can just find uh, balance and peace uh, during this time, and uh, we will get through it, and uh, we'll be better for it as well, hopefully. So. Uh, that will do it for episode number 29 of the Slice Zone Podcast. Uh, again, I want to thank my uh, guests, Tom Cundert and Eric Krakauer, for coming on. Uh, again, follow us on uh, all our social medias, and uh, make sure you guys share this uh, show and share the site and share all our pages and accounts uh, with all your family and friends uh, all around the world. So uh, my name is Danny Pinto. I have been your host of the Slice Zone Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net. And as always... Forse Portugal!